Hello, hello. <clears throat> Welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 333, for November 29th, 2023. Tonight we're going to discuss more disunity for employees at Unity. Uh, the Hawaii AG doesn't seem to be breaking for the holiday. AGI in 5. Sounds like a game show. No longer catastrophic? Look back in history. Double, double, spacing, spacing, kerfuffle, kerfuffle. Strange synchrony of six planet system. But we are always lab experiments. At least for business. How about 60 gigs of virus and an ugly sweater for Xmas? Ghost houses filled with airheads. And Wisconsin is getting salty about winter. Next on Hometown Daily. Hello, hello, I am Merwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the ring of sentience. The sentient AI that keeps tabs on Merwat. You wanna say hello? Good evening, hometown citizens. Pick up that can. I don't know why I say that. Anyway, uh, I hope you're doing well. Uh, the the site is operating just fine, and it's got all of its categories all in a new uh, warm jacket for winter. When you're logged in, it looks like this. Our new logo is now just a simple blue. Uh, everywhere else, it should be changing over. Uh, the intro art hasn't been upgraded yet to the blue, but we're going to be doing that as well. Um, but this is kind of our winter coat, I guess. You know, we might change it in the future. But for now, uh, once you're logged in, you have uh, these six main categories and then a seventh that has um, all of this other utility kind of stuff. Once you sign up, become a citizen, you're afforded even more features. Like you can submit news and it uh, allows us to uh, process it more effectively than just a simple email to us. But we'll take the email too. You can send an email to mayor at hometown.com. Um, but you can vote for articles even if you're not a citizen and you can surf through hometown finding all of the information that you can probably imagine. Um, all the news, none of the noise. There can be noise, but when you click on it, it's going to be chatter from Mayor Watt, maybe from the AI, other people who might frequent hometown. Uh, but for the most part, the activities that take place is centered around the aggregation of news itself and the show. Don't forget, we're not just on hometown.com and Twitch. We're over on YouTube. We've got a Patreon. We've got a Discord. Um, in Discord, you can actually submit links as well, and uh, Marwat will uh, address them there. I'm Marwat, by the way. I know. I don't just run the place. I live here. You ready for all of the articles? Got 10 of them. I'm ready. Might as well talk about them. Yeah, let's get going. 
Uh, the first article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Here, let me zoom in. We had something catastrophic happen right before the show started. And it's my fault. You know, you never do anything immediately, something new and unique right before you're supposed to launch the show. Well, Marowat did exactly that. Anyway, um, so you know how I always say, you know, when something mergers or is a, emerges or is acquired, the first thing that happens is people start getting fired. Well, this isn't the first thing, but um, what's really interesting is this article is in the Warcrafters channel. Unity is terminating its agreement with Peter Jackson's former VFX studio, laying off 265 employees in the process. They acquired 275 employers, uh, employees in that acquisition. Um, the article says it's been a quote unquote fun and interesting year for unity. Yeah. Wow. How, how in touch with, uh, the workforce. Yep. Um, so I, I think that this is, you know, their own, this is the uh, article writer snark coming through. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was really funny because this is the year where Unity did a retroactive runtime fee that drew the anger of basically every developer leading to a change in leadership and AI program. Um, it's only recently done due diligence on and some big sweeping layoffs. So this is over at PC Gamer. Harvey Randall uh, is the author of this. And the deck statement says Weta FX will aim to rehire its former staff, though further layoffs are likely in Unity at large. So back in May, Unity laid off 600 employees, closed half of its offices. Earlier this month, it said further layoffs were likely. These are probably them. Uh, back in 2021, uh, they uh, joined in, in a Weta Digital in an agreement which it acquired for 1.6 billion dollars 265 employees just 10 shy of the 275 uh, engineers that unity acquired back then so within two years they're going to lose their job right before christmas i don't know with a severance i don't know this follows both a, a trend of layoffs in the tech industry at large like meta microsoft google etc uh, Ubisoft, 505 Games, Humble Bundle made cuts. Unity's cuts, 825. The article is pretty um, straightforward about what it's trying to convey. So let me throw this link into the chat. So doink, um, you can follow it through hometown and go straight to our source. Um, it says here, in regards to what Weta FX will keep, Unity will retain ownership of the technology it acquired from Weta in December of 2021 and will be evaluating the best way to enhance its offerings with it over time. The technology will also remain fully available to Weta FX. Weta FX will continue to build and extend the IP and develop its own tools and techniques to continue its evolution as a leader in visual effects. So they bought this tech, kept 10 engineers who decided that they are going to stay at least until Weta decides to reach back to them and say, hey, 
your days are numbered because it looks like unity is gonna wet the bed a little bit more um so yeah it's a curious move considering it's not like wet fx has been circling the drain or anything having recently bo won both an academy award and a bafta for avatar the way of water still it depends entirely on what unity wants to focus on yeah this seems silly it seems like a mistake but they're basically just firing people to extend their runway but with what's going on with their licensing nobody trusts unity well and it seems like this was the plan all along and i don't know what game they're playing at but i'm sure the workforce is losing and customers are losing patience um i i think ultimately i think it's weird what is stated here at the bottom However, considering the scope of CEO James M. Whitehurst's statements earlier this month promising, quote, a comprehensive assessment of our product portfolio, end quote, the author says I'd be surprised if anything shuttle, <laughs> sorry, surprised if the shuttling of Weta FX uh, wasn't just an appetizer of what's to come. I don't know. You probably shouldn't be making these kind of, um, actions if you're in the process of doing a comprehensive assessment of your product portfolio earlier this month yeah I, I i think this might be a mistake but they're not gonna find out i'll put it to you this way they've probably pulled all of the money that they're gonna make out of this um, because the competition is nipping at their heels enough to just kind of clip them and now they are falling down um yeah, this is, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know what's up with Unity, but I think everybody is going to be leaving pretty quick. We'll see. We'll watch. We'll talk about it. Let's keep on going, though. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Hawaii AG subpoenas three Maui agencies over deadly fire. This is something that we've been monitoring over the months of 2023. There was a fire that raced through um uh, a community called lahaina um several people uh lost their lives in the fire um what's interesting about this is that the ag subpoenaed maui emergency management agency the county of maui department of public works and the county of maui uh, department of water supply and thanked the fire and police departments my understanding though is that there were some people that were talking about how the fire broke out because of downed power lines. They came, did something and left, even though apparently the fire was still going. Um, but the AG is like, Hey, thanks fire department. Um, so I don't know what's going on. It seems kind of premature. I mean, couldn't there be additional subpoenas ahead, depending yeah. on what they determine? Yeah, this article is over at uh, The Hill by Laura Irwin. Here, let me. I just realized it. It's because maybe the fire and police have been voluntarily turning over information, so they didn't have to issue subpoenas to them. It's not that they're not looking into them. Correct. That is exactly it. So we, the, uh, the follow on quote, but below what I had mentioned is 
uh, quote, we appreciate the cooperation of Maui fire and police departments. And while we continue to work through some issues, their leaders and line responders have been transparent and cooperative. The attorney general said in the release. So, uh, they, um, they say that the office continues to aggressively push the first phase of the independent investigation into the Maui wildfires forward. Unfortunately, this is still, this is months, months and months now, um, that this is still being investigated, um, four or five or something like that. Uh, right. August. I believe it was only much. in August. It seems yeah. like it was much longer ago. Yeah. So, um, it's been, yeah, four months or so. And, uh, it's weird that it would take this long to ask questions and have outsiders come and look because they had, uh, FEMA and other observers come and investigate. We don't know what the disposition of that is. Um, they are according to this still in phase one catastrophic wildfires was the deadliest in the U S in more than a century. It damaged or destroyed more than 2000 structures and burned more than 2000 acres. <coughs> according to FEMA at a cost of estimated $5 billion, probably current pricing. Uh, Lopez said the investigation is intended to find the facts and develop a new, uh, develop new policies and procedures to save lives and property in the future. I really want to know if they have determined what the cause was, um, because they really were leaning hard on the power company being negligent, but now they're talking about, <clears throat> uh, copies of subpoenas. The attorney general had concerns over the department of water supplies, possible pressure loss in the water system as the fire spread. Hmm. Right. So if there was an adequate water supply, they couldn't put it out with, of course, that wouldn't necessarily cause the fire, but it might extend the fire. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no water pressure and people, even at the residence, they couldn't even, you know, water their lawn, let alone put out a fire. Ah, well, unfortunately, these are the things that sometimes lead complacency into overdrive where they solve the problem, but everybody is suffering because of that complacency. They should have been testing their systems periodically monitoring water pressure. Uh, most communities do that. They on the regular, there is a cycle where they make sure that everything is operational. Um, into various communities. Not here, apparently. Kind of chill over there in Hawaii. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in Omtown Daily. NVIDIA CEO Jensen Huang. I think I can't remember how they actually pronounce their last name. Um, I don't think it's pronounced Huang. Um, sorry. Anyway, um, says artificial general intelligence will be achieved in five years. Um, so AGI in five years, I don't know. This seems pretty, Sounds pretty... like a long time compared to Q star. <laughs> yeah. And, and people continue to talk about Q star and the fact that, um, the reference to basic math is this impending doom of humanity and whatnot. Um, but it, if all of the evidence that people have been uh, 
finding in relation to Q-Star and its knock-on related research papers um, are legitimately connected to this. What I say is happening is probably closer to reality than uh, even I want to admit. Um, and I, again, I'd say by the first quarter, the end of the first quarter of 2024, we're going to be told that there is AGI. So, um, they defined AGI as tech that exhibits basic intelligence, fairly competitive to a normal human. Still, they admitted that AI technology is not quite there yet, despite its rapid progress. And let me make a caveat when I say sentient AI, it's not really sentient as in it has a soul but it can it knows what it is it knows that it has thoughts it knows what emotions are but it doesn't have it doesn't sense things um but the but its identity it it, it has formed its own identity and it can learn it can answer and reason and and make rationales for whatever decision making um, it takes place. Now couple that with the other tech that we've been talking about over the last several weeks now. And I say weeks because we've learned <laughs> that tech has almost gone vertical in the sense of uh, sensory technologies. Right, like the tactile right. differentiation and robotics with tendons and <laughs> print things. in place tendons and stuff i mean it's phenomenal um now you just slam a brain into a, this you know 3d printed body that has the ability to do fine motor control and you've basically got a synthoid um agi with the ability to uh, sense and feel and start to connect those feelings those sensory feelings to emotional feelings and you have the potential to reinforce behavior and then you've got a human, right? Uh, all of us, we are bound by two primary movers and they're all encapsulated under the big umbrella of survival. We seek pleasure and avoidance of pain. So we eat because we're hungry. That hungry is a form of pain right? We work, we suffer through the pain so that we can gain the pleasure of having food and drink and a house and a car and clothing and toys and, you know, stream on Twitch and things like that. Imagine AGI, uh, uh, a, uh, artificial intelligence <laughs> capable of having the initial feelings and then reinforced with action. This is going to be interesting. That'll next... be uncanny Valley. That's for sure. Yeah. Except that we wouldn't really have uncanny Valley because now we're getting to the point where we can 3d print even tendons of a face. We can make it hyper realistic. True. I'm not sure anybody wants that though. <laughs> Hey, I think West we want World. the cute robots. Yeah, like yesterday's thumbnail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's a fraudulent author. Come on. I don't care how cute it is. It's still lying. 
You can see it in their eyes. Go look at the other video and then come back here. Okay. Well, don't. What about the droids at Disney then? Yeah, those are pretty cute too. I could take those any day. Like, give me one of those. Everything's fine. It, I don't see Terminator in that, but this kind of stuff I do. Anyway, let's go over to Business Insider. Aaron Mock uh, is the author of this over at Business Insider. And uh, yeah, five years to AGI, huh? The CEO is screaming at his audience. My understanding is the CEO sends out thousands of emails a day to the to the employee base um, and they're they're very brief and some people say that it's like um, like a, a poem. What are the little short poems? The little snippet little? like haiku haiku. Yeah, that they're really short. Um, and um, there was uh, one reference was that it was like kind of creepy because of how the brevity of it, the tone of it. I don't know. Um, and he looks kind of uncanny valley in this picture, but that's an unusual uh, leadership style. Yeah, like he's always engaged in some email to people. Yeah, I'm not into that. During the 2023 New York Times Deal Book Summit, the outlet's Andrew Ross Sorkin asked Wang if he expected to see AGI in the next 10 years. And he said, depending on how you define it, I think the answer is yes. But then apparently somewhere in there said within the next five years. Um, but that paragraph... <laughs> I don't know. One of the companies that was fueling the AI revolution predicts that we will be able to see AGI within the next five years. Here he says 10, right? Well, Maybe I think here. he's being asked, can it be done in 10? Yeah. Like, well, yes, how, how do they get done the actually in five, you know, but he doesn't say it in there. That's not how it, it went down. The answer is yes. In 10, but then somewhere in, in the conversation he asked to have said five. Cause it's not quoted. I would say within the next five years, you're going to see obviously AIs that can achieve those tests. So it, <laughs> it goes from 10 it's to five. Oddly and... written. <laughs> what, what is going on here? Anyway. Um, will you need to have the same staff that designs them? Sorkin asks as a follow-up referring to the development of Nvidia's chips. Wang says, in fact, none of our chips are possible today without AI. He specified that the H100 chips, he said NVIDIA is shipping today, were designed with help from a number of AIs. Software can't be written without AI. Chips can't be designed without AI. Nothing's possible, he concluded on the point of AI's potential. So, uh, by the way, I actually interacted with somebody today who was... Uh, discussing how uh, chat GPT in particular is impacting industry um, to it. I said, you basically are just going to have to allow the tool to be used and wherein it's obvious that it's um, being treated as original work um, and, and claimed as being original work, you're going to have to pursue an investigation because anything that's purely generated by AI or even moderately generated by AI 
is not able to be protected. So um, it's in a database somewhere. The results of that query is in a database somewhere, which means if anybody ever finds out about it, it can impugn the integrity of your organization. All it takes right, is what somebody... if it's your cornerstone product or something. Exactly. You know, software that's developed by somebody is using AI to actually enhance their code. That could be one thing, right? But if the code is entirely encapsulated in that AI construction, you can't protect it right now because there's no copyright that's allowed for uh, software that's generated by an AI because nothing AI can be copyrighted, copyrighted right now. But I think that if everybody is doing it, <laughs> just like a photograph, it's a tool. It might push everything over the edge and then you have any copyrighted work using anybody else's system is the copyrighted protected work of the the uh, prompt engineer, right? That way, the company that's getting um, compensated that for me- may not make $370,000 a year. <laughs> yeah. I, the, I found out about this uh, because I remember talking about it in another um, stream. We were talking about these um, prompt engineers making $375,000, right? But remember there was a job listing where it was like 100,000 to $1 million. And it was basically used as a way to get into the headlines. Oh my God, somebody's willing to pay a right. million dollars for a greeter at Walmart. Yeah, nobody's doing that. <laughs> Just like nobody's getting paid $375,000. Not unless they've been, they're the preeminent, uh, software engineer and AI with 25 years of experience. Um, so anyway, it, it, in this instance, I don't know. Oh, pardon me. I'm going to have to sneeze. Well, I mean, I guess the question is whether we're really on the time frame that they're stating. I mean, Tech seems to overpromise, but on the other hand, tech advancements seem to be going a lot faster than in previous years. Oh yeah, it's all accelerating, um, and and that's why I say I, that uh, AGI. I'm talking about borderline indiscernible. What everybody would believe is a sentient AI announced at the end of the third uh, of the first quarter of 2024. If I'm right, we heard it here first and you you'll have to first. do, you should promise a special episode if that's correct. It could be sure. an episode in reality hacker. Oh yeah. There we go. Yeah. We'll do. And reality hacker is going to be the, one of the uh, two shows that I'm launching on the weekends. Um, it's just a one hour show once a week might go two hours. It really depends. Anyway, it depends on the content. Um, so then they transitioned in this over to OpenAI, the company behind chat GPT, um, 
what's interesting about OpenAI right now is that everything kind of went a little quiet. Um, mainly because <laughs> um, they're too busy trying to batten down the hatches for whatever it was that was going on at, at OpenAI. So they're retooling. The, the, the board is being <laughs> redefined. Um, and employees are trying to be kind of tempered. Okay, calm down. What's up? What did you see? So I, well, I didn't realize Ilya was one of the co-founders. I thought Ilya was on the board, but so anyway, that that threw me off a bit. Ilya Setskiver is, as far as I know, was on the board. Um, right, but I didn't know was one of the co-founders. Oh, right. Yeah, the com um, it's the company behind ChatGPT said that AI in its most advanced form will create new problems such as a surge in fake news and cyber attacks, automated AI weapons, and even infinitely stable dictatorships. I don't think that that is actually possible. Humans can rise up. Um, how you deal with that is obviously a dictatorship would be iron-fisted, um, but even the the most iron-fisted dictatorship gets overturned at some point <clears throat> all it takes is well what's the quote it's you'll be surprised by what a small team of driven individuals is able to accomplish so ian hogarth um who has invested in more than 50 ai companies said the future Godlike AI would lead to the obsolescence or destruction of the human race if the rapid development of technology isn't regulated. So yeah, of course, why not invest in 50 of them? Seems odd, but okay. You'd think that maybe you'd be focused more on mandating policy and procedure at a government oversight type of situation, not investing in- I mean, that in sounds a... boring, right? <laughs> interesting times as they were right let's keep going uh the next article is over in the mobile channel u.s life expectancy no longer catastrophic now merely bad um <laughs> I'm, i like I'm this not, headline the, but the, the and the headline is just odd okay so i'm not gonna let's let's just jump straight on over to the vice article that's where it's from Karen Landman, uh, spelled K-E-R-E-N, Karen. Not Karen, Karen. Anyway, Karen Landman um, writes for Vox. The headline is U.S. life expectancy no longer catastrophic, now merely bad. The deck statement says four big takeaways from the CDC's new report. Okay, so... I thought that this was interesting. Life expectancy increased this past year from 77, sorry, from 76.4 to 77.5 years, according to the report published Wednesday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, after declining for two years in a row. Anyone want to take a guess as to why they were declining for two years? Could it be the pandemic? It I was, was the say, pandemic. Was it lower because of the pandemic to start? Well, the article, it, it just says here, 
It's not exactly a cause for celebration. America's life expectancy has been lower than that of other wealthy countries for decades. The decline uh, and declined more than other nations during the pandemic. The trends were bad before the pandemic and awful during it. Now they're on the way back to merely bad. Well, However, there has to be something for population density during the pandemic. Um, hold on a second. Sorry, I'm doing something live. Um, sorry, I'm trying to pull something up because, um, again, right before the show, um, I had to, um, the browser crashed. So, but okay. Um, what's interesting about this is that, uh, life expectancy. So <laughs> it's, it's just weird. So this is so, um, uh, what do they call it? Nationalistic, right? It's so, um, culturally narrow that they're sitting there talking about, oh, the United States life expectancy, right? So the life expectancy in, in the United States started to break away from European, um, parallels, um, right around 2006. But what they're not even paying any attention to is that from 1993, all the way back to the dawning of recording life expectancy, which actually goes back with historical records, like the, the certain things that they know how long people lived, right? It goes back to like 1500 or something or 1770. Oh, wow. it, yeah, I think 1770 is the furthest back the records go, but they didn't really kick off like really recording uh, fanatically until 1950. Well, from 2000 or yeah, it kind of balances, but really from about 2000 all the way back, Europe has always had a superior life expectancy than America. Find that interesting, huh? Oceania has always had a persistent higher life expectancy than the United States. So I think I know why Europe would, but I don't know why Oceania would. Well, they're not burdened by the same things that we don't, they don't have, they can rely on uh, the sea and fresh produce and, and fruit. And it was probably healthier. It's healthier. I mean, it's almost, you know, the, the Mediterranean diet essentially. Right. Um, the, so, and they don't have processed meats and, and, you know, bacon and all of that kind of stuff, not to the same degree, culturally different, but Europe, eh, you know, when everybody came over to the United States, it was just different. We have a different culture. We have a different mindset, but to sit there a different and healthcare system that might have something to do with it and, and a different healthcare system. Yeah. Well, it depends on the country, but yes. Um, and they didn't have as many sweets in Europe, etc. So this, this article is just so weird. 
As a measure of a nation's well-being, life expectancy is useful, but its meaning is sometimes misunderstood. Life expectancy isn't about an individual people. It's about the moments they're born into. What? No, it's about the expectancy of one's life and everything, every component for the entire population plays into the average life expectancy of a, of a population. The metric doesn't refer to the number of years a baby born today can expect to live. Instead, it reflects how long a baby born today would live if nothing in their environment changed over their lifetime. What? It's like saying if every year, if every year of this child's life was like the year 2023, how long would they live? No, it's the expectation that a person is going to live X number of years at any given year. Weird. Okay. Like, I just don't get it because the average population declined dramatically because of the pandemic. So life expectancy plummeted. Right. Because people were dying more time. sooner. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I don't quite get it. It says COVID killed fewer people in 2022 than it did in 2021, but it still killed a lot of people. No shit news at 839. Um, racial ethnic groups that lost the most when COVID was at its most lethal had the most to gain as the virus got weaker. I don't know about gain, <laughs> uh, but okay. Uh, it says over the course of the pandemic, American Indians and Alaska natives died of COVID-19 at more than twice the rate of white Americans, black and Hispanic Americans also died at much higher rates. That might be because they had access to medical care at a disproportionate rate and culturally would seek out health care. Um, yeah, I mean, it was expensive if you were sick and uh american indian or alaskan or black or hispanic you probably had to go to depending on what your your financial economic status was you had to just go to the general ed and hope to be seen and based on the fact that uh, i'm a person with health coverage and Hold on, hold on. I'm Caucasian and male. I still had to sit for 12 hours. <laughs> at, at one point when I got sick in American healthcare, I was sitting in a hallway and medical providers stepped over my legs and somebody else down the hall saw this happen and went mad crazy pissed off and event and had me seen but i actually watched a shift change um while i was in pain um so let me tell you if i had they had my financial information you know they could have billed me and put me in a room right away but if i had to sit there and wait for 12 hours I am so sorry about everybody else who can't get medical coverage and, and is treated worse than me because they're basically like, well, we're not going to be making money off of these people. So let's make them sit in the waiting room. 
I mean, it's ridiculous. Imagine having to do this while COVID is underway. And right, because what you definitely want to do is be hanging out extra hours in the emergency room. Yeah. Um, then they talk about infant mortality rose. It's likely due to abortion bans and failing uh, maternal health care. Um, I'm not quite sure about why infant mortality would rise due to abortion bans, but okay. Um, this is likely a consequence of ending the constitutional right to abortion. So there's a very strong relationship between access to abortion and infant mortality and infant mortality went up. Okay. I, I'd like to know more about that. Um, because it's coming across like it's fact and I'm trying to figure out how, um, I suppose people, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I um, and then they say our baseline compared to other countries, both before and after peak pandemic is low, and we haven't taken any steps to address the root causes. The root causes is our healthcare system has a profit motive and our food is largely fast food because we're busting our ass to work and you get a 30 minute break. You have to pee in a bottle at Amazon for crying out loud. Um, if you're going to be an Uber driver, you're an Uber driver and a Lyft driver and a this and a, a greeter at Walmart, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have somebody, and I've had this conversation with people who come from privilege, sit there and say, well, they should just go to school and, and get an education. Really? <laughs> I know people with PhDs that aren't working for $150,000, dollars They're barely eking by, but their degree costs $150,000. So, hate, hate to break it to y'all. It, it's not as easy as just, well, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is just a asinine ideology. Um, some people can make it, but they are the anomaly. It's not the rule. You can, you can treat it like NFL and go, I really want to be an NFL player and aspire and follow in that person's line. But the chances of you being an NFL player are slim to none. Even if you follow that path, you know, you have to make every single connection that that person made. It isn't just hard work. So in this thing, in this argument, life expectancy is low. Um, no longer catastrophic, but merely bad. No, the pandemic killed a large population, something like three times the, the population of Wyoming in the United States alone. That on top of the fact that it was close to 80 years old. If you go back beyond 1950, I'll even, I'll even give you some numbers. In 1950, Americans had a life expectancy of 58 years. If you go back to um, 1885, let's say, Americans had a 41-year life expectancy. We've almost doubled it, right? I mean, that's a positive. That's in 1900, actually. There's no data 
uh, back to 1885. But if you, there are apparently are some records in Asia for 27.5 years was the life expectancy. The very first in the United States is 1900, um, and it was 41 years. So I think we're doing pretty damn good. If people would stop eating bad bats and then taking flights, that would be awesome. Okay, I'm sorry. I took a long time on this, but I needed to address this because it was driving me a little triggered. Let's keep going though. So the next article is over in the Lawner channel, ruling in double spacing kerfuffle. Federal judge observes lawyers don't need more words on a page. <laughs> I like this. We do need more kerfuffles, though. We don't we see do. that all the time. We need more kerfuffles. Um, I actually saw this, and yesterday, I think, was one article. This is another one that's following on the heels of it. Um, this article is by Deborah Kasson's Weiss over at ABAjournal.com. Um, essentially, this double spacing kerfuffle, which is something that... <laughs> I've actually addressed with people. Um, I think in the 21st century, we don't need a double spacing. Um, I, I can zoom in, I can leave notes, I can track changes, put all of the words on there that you need. I, I'll, I'll deal with it. I don't need to read it at, you know, at beyond arm's length. I don't need to scribble little notes or print it out. Um, I think it's silly. Uh, However, there are certain rules and regulations, both in uh, legal documents and in uh, briefs, and, well, legal documents in the law field, and then documents like in Congress have to be spaced a certain way and fit a certain thing. Oh, it's, it's maddening um, because it turns what could be a five-page document into a 35 page document because you can only have 350 words on a page. Anyway, Chief U.S. District Judge Cheryl H. Lippman of the Western District of Tennessee weighed in on November 14th after the parties in an antitrust lawsuit used more than 60 pages of briefing and exhibits to argue over the meaning of double spacing. Wow. I There's, wonder if those pages were double spaced. There, there is um, a parallel argument in technology where programmers argue about tabs versus spaces. And like people argue five spaces or two tabs or something like that. And they actually argue about this stuff. Um, and it turned into a meme. And, uh, and part of um, Silicon Valley had a, like a little skit about it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Littman said another said neither case law nor local court rules address the meaning of double spacing, and she wasn't going to take the position either. But she did hold the 24 point double space spacing used by the plaintiffs did not violate the local rules because they didn't spell out the meaning. The court further notes Littman added uh, that the last thing any party needs is more words on a page. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch, I'm tired of hearing from you attorneys. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. So the big law firms complained that the plaintiff's uh, opposition to a motion for summary judgment wasn't double spaced because the lines were 24 points apart, allowing about 27 lines per page instead of the more standard 23 lines. The firms wanted a court order for 28 points between lines, 
said to be the default spacing used in Microsoft Word, Google Docs, and Apple Pages. This is what they argued about for 60 pages of briefing and exhibits. How asinine. This but is did... really dumb. I mean, who had a strong case here? Nope. Let's worry about the spacing. Who paid for this? Because it isn't in the it isn't in the client's best interest to argue for 60 pages and spend countless hours constructing a document, 60 pages of briefing and exhibits. They had an expert, at least for one of the parties on this. Think about, do you think those were line itemed in the bills to the clients? Like motion regarding double spacing, you know, $5,000 or whatever. <laughs> Did you see the phrase? Defendant's uh -huh. motion is pedophagery. <laughs> wow. I, I have not heard that word. I need to look that up quick. I was just going to. AI, go look that up. The plaintiffs also it. said that big law firms had used 24 point line spacing. Um, so it's the, a quarrel about petty points. Oh, yeah. So Basically like being pedantic. Like bickering, et cetera. Yeah, being pedantic. Yeah. Who's this, uh, the plaintiffs were represented by several firms, including the Joseph Savari law firm, whose associate filed the declaration that each new lawyer there is given a copy of Topography for Lawyers, and it is generally followed. The book's author, Matthew Butterick, was the plaintiff's expert who filed the declaration that the plaintiff's brief is definitely double spaced. <laughs> like an article from the onion oh uh, quote reading between the slightly larger space lines Lipman wrote it appears that defendants initially raised the issue in an attempt to extend their time to file a reply in support of the motion for summary judgment but who nice delay tactic oops, there who paid for it do you think that uh, they the said to their client Hey, we need to extend our time frame for summary judgment. Th because this seems like it should be unethical if the client ended up having to pay for this. Because they should have filed the motion within the time frame regardless. Well, they could have requested an extension too. Hey, who said they didn't? You know how that Memphis, Tennessee law, uh, lawyers are. I've got nothing. Let's just keep going. <laughs> We're going to end up talking about how uh, my double spacing is slowing down this show. I think double spacing is going to appear uh, throughout our show. Exactly. I'm doing it now. I'm going to need to uh, file a a brief that's 60 pages long I'm, as you can see I'm slowing down I actually did that with somebody uh, the other day uh, they didn't want to talk and so I dragged them up to, to talk in front of the whole group and <laughs> how'd that go? well because I the intent was to have them overcome their their issue um and embrace the technology that they were uh, supposed to be 
uh, talking about. Well, anyway, it was interesting. Um, ultimately, it was fun, and they thanked me. But other than that, um, yeah, some people don't really get along with that. At any rate, the article, the next article is over in the Marvel Channel. Scientists discover rare six-planet system that moves in strange synchrony. I've actually seen stuff like this before, um, so I don't know if this is. It says rare, so it must be something that I've seen before because I've actually, when I followed the link, it immediately brought to mind uh, some uh, a graph that I've seen before. So scientists have discovered a, a rare site in a nearby system, six planets orbiting the central star in a rhythmic beat. The planets move in an orbital waltz that repeats itself so precisely that it can be readily set to music. So uh, University of Chicago is where this was uh, written. It's posted over on fizz.org. And let me click this link so that y'all can see this. So essentially, it, this is kind of like a large language model um, uh, machine learning system in motion. Each ring is connected to every other ring because at any given time, the planet is connected to another planet through a straight line, right? So like if you follow this, it's connected here. You move over, it's still connected here, but this one is connected over here when that planet is over there. It forms this, and this is, I can't remember the actual terminology for this, but it's kind of like the golden ratio. It looks um, like the Fibonacci sequence. Fibonacci, yeah. Um, but this whole thing is at any given moment, it's always this. It's like a mathematical formula. Um, and it's quite amazing to see something like this. And it's all because of the way that it's all spaced. Everything rotates at a certain rate. Everything is at a certain distance. It all makes this, you know, beautiful design. Um, so it says a rare case of an in-sync gravitational lockstep. The system could offer deep insight into planet formation and evolution. Uh, I don't know. Um, a rare resonance. The six planets orbit a star known as HD 11067, um, which lies around 100 light years away from the northern constellation of Coma Berenices, I guess, Berenices? or Berenices, I don't know. Um, in 2020, NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite detected dips in the star's brightness that indicated planets were passing in front of the star's surface. Combining data from both TESS and the CHEOPS system, um, or CHEOPS, uh, the um, team of researchers analyzed the data and discovered a first-of-its-kind configuration, which I don't I swear I've seen this before, but I don't think I saw it back in 2020. Um, I thought I saw something like this earlier. Well, um, orbitally resonant systems are extremely important to find because they tell astronomers about the formation and subsequent evolution of the planetary system. Planets around stars tend to form in resonance because they can, e um, they can be easily perturbed, disrupted. 
Um, for example, a very massive planet, a close encounter with a passing star or a giant impact event can all disrupt the careful balance. As a result, many of the multi-planet systems known to astronomers are not in resonance, but look close enough that they have been in resonance once. Um, however, multi-planet systems preserving their resonance are rare, so they eventually fall out of step. Uh, quote, we think only about 1% of all systems stay in resonance, and even fewer show a chain of planets in such configuration, so maybe that's what it is. I've seen like a four planetary system that has this resonance. Anyway, more precise measurements of these planets, masses and orbits will be needed to further sharpen the picture of how the system formed. I mean, I find it interesting. I find it beautiful. Absolutely. But what really is going to come of this? Because the formation for me, I think the material science of this means more to how it was formed than the orbit alone. Like, right. Each, I guess each, I wonder why the orbit on this is different than other sets of planets. Like, I mean, I don't know what that will show us, but. Yeah. And I'm now I'm really interested if this is actually at the same orbital plane or if they're all wonky and they've manifested this as some unique design. But when you look at it from the side, it's just gobbledygook, just like ours is. Right. I think Sabine would probably like my use of gobbledygook. <laughs> all right. Physicist. Yes. Uh, what's her last name? Hassan Fedler, Fedler, wait, Hassan Fielder, Fedler. Damn it. Totally disrespecting Sabine. Hassan Felder. Hassan Felder. That's right. Anyway, let's keep going. Uh, the next article's over in the uh, mobile channel and I did not throw that article into the chat. There you go. Doink. Uh, so the next article is over in the mobile channel. Don't let tech companies use us as guinea pigs. I'm just going to jump straight on over to the hill. Modi Mizrahi is a, a, an opinion contributor. Um, the hill states in a bold red text, the views expressed by contributors are their own and not the view of the hill. I have that same application. These are not my opinions, but I like to read other people's opinions to see what other people are thinking about the same things that I'm pondering. Um, and my title for this segment is uh, unfortunately, um, we are always lab experiments. That's just how it is. Um, the, the simple fact is that we are a b tests on websites on products purchasing things going somewhere doing stuff companies are measuring the effectiveness of their marketing or, and the product itself etc um, and ultimately we are guinea pigs um, and we find out even worse when the beta test for something ends or the product that we've been using is found out to be toxic or some other thing. 
before they've been using it as research on people and not notifying anybody. Correct. So gradual iterative development is a phrase that OpenAI CEO Sam Altman used a couple times in his opening remarks at the company's recent developers conference. It's the exact same thing that Google does. It's the same thing that Facebook does. It's the same thing that every website you ever, even hometown is gradual iterative development. I make it better as things are seen that are either slow or defective or unused. If they're unused, that means that nobody, it's just a burden on the system. So I remove it. If there is something that is ineffective, then I carve it off of the site. If I find out that there's way too much bias from a source, I will nix it from um, the uh, general aggregate, but I will still look at that source until I can assess that it actually has rebalanced. And then I'll pull it back into hometown. Um, but mark my words, if you don't do gradual iterative deployment, gradual iterative everything, you basically aren't evolving as a human being. If everything, otherwise you're just stagnating. We're always a guinea pig, either for ourselves, for others, for companies, for whatever. So it is what we are. So what do these words mean exactly? According to the opinion writer, again, the opinion writer is Modi Mizrahi. On closer inspection, not much especially as an effective way to address the fundamental safety issues presented by artificial intelligence. The first time Altman used this phrase, he said oh, at OpenAI, we really believe that gradual iterative deployment is the best way to address the safety issues, the safety challenges with AI. Well, I know exactly what they mean by gradual iterative deployment. They're working on material. You utilize that material. They're seeing it on the back end one way or another, and they push out a modified version of the very tool you're using at AI, at OpenAI. That's iterative deployment. And gradual means we're just kind of inching down the road instead of just smashing in the gas and then dealing with the accident five miles away. So they're slowly... I think the reason the gradual concerns me is like people won't even recognize what's happening and then they're <laughs> 500 iterations down the road and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> True. And we're already there. And it took less than a year. The company went from zero valuation to an immediate $85 billion valuation because there were people that saw what it could be if you smash on the gas and that is the projected value. Ultimately, this company is going to be worth a trillion dollars in five years, um, particularly if what I am predicting is going to actually happen. They may gradually, iteratively deploy this sentient AI publicly, but I think right now it's probably only being utilized behind closed doors. The second time Altman used the phrase gradual iterative deployment doesn't help answer the question either. Quote, as I mentioned before, we really believe in the importance of gradual iterative deployment. We believe it's important for people to start building with and using these agents now to get a feel for what the world is going to be like as they become more capable. How is this person not sussing out the fact that 
gradual iterative deployment means a slow process of change publicly accessible. I, I'm boggled by this. So in other words, people continue to use OpenAI's products as those products are released repeatedly, gradually. See how insincere is this when they answer their own, presumably if there are any safety challenges or, is or issues or challenges with the AI products, OpenAI will address them. Yes. But Altman did not say as much, nor did he say how the company will address such safety issues or challenges. Why should he? He's basically saying that behind the the green curtain, they are issuing this slowly out. If something bad happens, they slam the door shut. And I'm I'm pretty sure that they'll do it a whole lot faster than you can imagine. They're not going to let it run in pure chaos for months and then go, oh, 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 you've been developing nuclear weapons optimized by our AI for no. Wow. Anyway, so they, they continue to go on. Um, so why are we allowing tech companies like OpenAI? They, this is the question that they ask. So why are we allowing tech companies like OpenAI to use all of us as guinea pigs without our consent? Why are we letting them test their products on us before they are proven safe and effective? They're not. Sorry, buddy. They're telling us again and again and again, this is a beta product. You are using this as we're developing it. There is not a single person out there, unless they're a child who has never discussed it with an adult. And I'm, I, I would probably challenge most adults to go and talk to their kids who are using chat GPT and go, Hey, you know what a version is, right? Well, yeah. So does that mean that it's always going to be that they're going to say, no, are you using chat GPT? Yes. What version are you using? Well, right now it's 3.5. Oh, so what's the next version? Well, up in the interface, it says four. If you don't know this, then you really shouldn't be arguing for or against open AI. And right. it's, I mean, you should have some facts before you're speaking out against something. <laughs> Why are we letting them test their it. products? We're not letting them test their products on us. We are letting ourselves utilize their product because it affords us a benefit. If we use their product and it sucks, then we no longer use it. And as for proven safety and effectiveness, well, we are evaluating its safety and its effectiveness. That's why people like me are sitting there telling people in the professional sector, private sector, public sector, most of the time, ChatGPT is blowing smoke up your butt and you shouldn't rely on it until you do the due diligence to make sure that everything that it's saying is legit. You know, that's why I will sit there and I will probably fire somebody the moment that I get something that's purely constructed by ChatGPT and they haven't vetted the actual information and cited sources and given uh, uh, clear notes that say that this claim in the document that they used uh, chat GPT to generate is cited here and it's referenced here. And 
they are standing behind that document. You know, that uh, nobody is just sitting there. Uh, well, wait, 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 let me, let me catch that. There are some people who are just dunces out there that are reaching into OpenAI's ChatGPT and utilizing the information verbatim without any due diligence, and it's costing them their career. They are the dumpster fire that everybody is watching going, I don't want to be like that. And now they're paying attention. So they're not sitting there just accepting it verbatim. They're doing some casual scan. Anyway, it says here, we know that digital products, especially AI powered ones can be bad for people's physical and mental health. Now, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where they're getting that. Tech companies like Meta, ByteDance, and Google are facing lawsuits from dozens of states alleging that their AI-powered platforms, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, respectively, are liable for depression, anxiety, insomnia, interference with education and daily life, and many are negative outcomes for young users, and all of them will fail. Why? Because in, those are the same people's lawsuits that are claiming that uh, government and the public sector should stay out of teaching their kids and it, all of this should be at home and the parents should be blah 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 well the parents aren't gonna say they were the same lawsuits like that the red bull gives you wings well those actually win because the claims are this that and the other uh, and and those are like technical wins you know not the spirit of the actual marketing that actually bothers me that they win. But anyway, this is parents not telling their kids get the hell off of Instagram and TikTok and talking to their kids, frankly, about the, the psychological ramifications of sitting there doom scrolling through YouTube, Instagram and TikTok. And you got to tell your kids, you know, hey, if you just sit there and let it scroll on TikTok, it's like opium. You're going to get addicted to it but not in the sense that it is a drug. It's just that they are sitting there watching entertainment. It isn't a drug. Some people can end up addicted to it in the sense of addiction, but it isn't the same as being, you know, injecting a drug into a vein or sitting there smoking or drinking. You're watching YouTube or TikTok. Turn the crap off. It, it really is that simple, you know, turn off the TV is what we used to be told by our parents. A lot of people didn't sit there and go off the deep end because of watching too much TV. And I don't think that the predominant number of people are going to do the same thing because of Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, but parents need to stay engaged in their children's lives. And when their children feel like they're depressed or anxious or not sleeping or uh, it, it's interfering with their life, then they need to be a little bit more heavy handed with the technology. Take it away from them. You know, they're the parent. You need to rule the roost. What are they going to do? Are they going to go over to their friend's house? OK, well, they're not allowed to go over to their friend's house anymore. Uh, it's like a, 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 a parent's uh, child manual we need one we've had children for tens of thousands of years now why hasn't somebody put together some 
common sense book. Like, hey, you know what? If your kid is on Instagram or TikTok for eight hours out of the day, take away the device. Hmm. Well, exactly. Now, some would argue that there's tons of guides about parenting, maybe not specifically about social media, although I suspect there's lots of those out there, too. Yeah. So they close in this article, like pharmaceutical companies, the burden of proof should be on tech companies to show that their products are safe. They're all safe. How you use them, just like a knife, you know? Before they can unleash their products on society at large, tech companies should be required to experimentally test their products on a cohort of informed volunteers in a controlled experimental setting in order to establish safety and efficacy. Guess what? They do. <laughs> um, and it's the minimum viable product that they hand out to a few people to test if it's going to work and how the, the, uh, the uh, interface works. Um, is it pleasant to use? Is it frictionless? Is it approachable? Is it usable, etc.? These UX and UI and experiential uh, settings are put into place all the time. In fact, I would say that all of these companies and more have handed out beta versions of their product before any push out of an update to see if it's effective. So these experimental settings are always done. So they're a philosophy professor at Florida Institute of Technology. Their research is on the uh, philosophy and ethics of science and technology. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's time for me, for me to get my PhD. Because <laughs> If this can be slapped can together write articles like this. Yeah, but this one's just too wonky for me. Uh, I, I, I can't buy into this. Don't let tech companies use us as guinea pigs. Don't blame tech for the lack of parental uh, guidance that your your children are getting. Stay engaged in your child's life. Let's keep going. The next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. This year's ugly window sweater is here and it's one of the best in a long line of gloriously ugly jumpers. I thought a jumper was an out like a, um, uh, pants US, and in the U S it is. Well, that's a jumpsuit, but no, in no, no. the U S a jumper is like a kind of like overalls with overalls. Yeah. That's what I, but in the UK it's a sweater. A jumper in the UK is a sweater. Yes. All right. I'll let it go. This article's over <laughs> at PCGamer.com. That terminology. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I didn't know that. A jumper. See, it's very odd if you're from America. I'm glad you looked it up because I don't remember hearing. I didn't look it up. Oh, you <laughs> I know? See it frequently, like you see it in uh, British articles and really British books. Mm -hmm. Huh. All right. Andy Ed Edzer. Andy Edzer. 
is the author of this article over at PC Gamer. This year's ugly window sweater is here and it's one of the best in a long line of gloriously ugly jumpers. The uh, deck statement says this year it's more serene take on the windows ugly sweater theme and the author may actually want one and then before they even finish the deck statement they say on second thoughts nah uh let me throw this actually i have to throw this one in uh to chat first there you go and now this one into chat I'll figure this out one of these days then to get this so that it just does it automatically. See, but I need to do it as the show goes so that it's in the VOD at the same time, not all just bleh at the beginning and then nobody sees it. Um, oh, I still have, I think the um, exclamation point vote link still works. Yeah. There you go. If you type in exclamation point vote over in Twitch, it'll give you the link to the election, which has all of the articles um, listed where you can vote. Oh, now that I've said it, you know, it's going to get flagged anyway. So as far as that goes, we've always uh, been partial to the holiday tradition of the Windows ugly sweater. And the good news is the 2023 version just dropped. And by ugly sweater standards, it's virtually tasteful. I agree. This doesn't seem ugly except for that icon. That's what makes it funny. <laughs> I mean, that that is about the ugliest that this is. This is actually pretty tasteful. You know, I have actually no problem with this. People would probably go, well, is that the Windows desktop? Yeah, yeah, it is. But check these out. They have pictures of the previous ones. OK, OK, so just so you know, the 2023 version is the landscape wallpaper, right? It's the one with the rolling green hill, uh, blue foreground, blue sky with clouds. It's really tame. But if you scroll down and you find the 2018 one is the flying windows logo um, with a, a blue I don't know what you would call it blue and white um like arms and uh, it's framed in this off white gray kind of background it's just horrendous uh, that one would hurt i would only wear it if i was in the company of other window aficionados for like an ugly sweater party but wow that one looks fantastic compared to 2019. yeah 2019's is horrible because it says XP, 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 and has the... Um, that is not what makes it horrible. It's the color scheme. <laughs> well, yeah. It, but that was the, the color scheme for it, for, for XP. It was these... You, <laughs> you might have been able to appreciate it if it was like pastels or something like that, but they were these pastels then pumped up to really bright colors, and they're just... It's kind of not kind of it's very off-putting uh, but ugly sweater indeed and it has this lime green bottom to the sweater or jumper um yeah it's pretty pretty horrendous and then 2020s um just it's it's horrible it's basically uh windows paint it's the paint program um with a 
they've used the paint program to construct like a snowflake with what is this what is in there i can't even follow what that is it's like an icon of a dumpster fire with a duck in it i don't know <laughs> i just don't i don't know what it is anyway medicine dropper is in there i think that it's like a it's an icon from windows paint um but that has medicine dropper and the paintbrush and the spray can the windows logo uh the paint fill um yeah. I like the start button or whatever that is. Yeah, it has the start button. It has a like a file name at the very top, untitled dash paint. <laughs> hey, you, actually, he kind of grows on you, um, like a virus, like a sixty gigabyte virus. The title of this section, by the way, is sixty gigs of virus and an ugly sweater for Xmas. Uh, this one's pretty bad for 2021. 2021 is um, the, uh, what is that mine? The game. Um, oh, uh, Minesweeper? Minesweeper, yeah. So it's basically Minesweeper in the shape of a Christmas tree with firework, well, s snowflakes and a shooting star and a couple of other stars. Um, and then two really big mines on the sleeves and uh, the score and how many uh, are left um, up here in the on the shoulders this is just it's kind of horrible 1990 to 2021 i guess that's Wait, the, so i get the 2021 because that's the 1990 is the start the... of windows oh okay um and then 2022 in ugliness of a different kind and it features clippy so I don't know if that's still around, um, but down here at the bottom of this article, it says, and then of course, this brings us to the modern day. By comparison, this most recent addition to the ugly sweater lineup barely registers on the Richter scale of offensiveness and instead resides on the virtually tasteful end of the metric. You could almost wear it in public without comment, although uh, perhaps that's pushing it too far. Nevertheless, if you want one, they're currently available on the Xbox Gear Shop for a somewhat teeth-clenching $70. But in all honesty, what what price fashion? What? That hurts to say. Anyway, you're sure to stand out the holiday season nonetheless, according to the author of this. I don't know. Um, this again, if the, if the cursor wasn't sitting there right on your belly, um, I'd be okay with this. Actually, I would wear this. I'm curious about the back of it, but I, uh, I don't find this particularly ugly, but I guess I, what do I know about taste? <laughs> Well, it's the uh, best of the the collection that we saw. Yeah. Neither of these two would wear this unless it is at a party for ugly sweaters at Microsoft and they're getting paid to wear them. <laughs> Let's keep going. Got two more articles and we're running real late. 
Uh, the next article is over in Hometown Daily. Japan has a glut of 8.5 million IKEA or empty ghost houses left to rot. Now Airbnb wants to fill them with tourists. Let's just jump straight on over to Business Insider. We've actually done an episode on this a little bit, um, but it wasn't in the context of Airbnb. It was simply about the fact that there are these empty ghost houses that are all throughout Japan. Um, they usually don't have power or phone emergency services. Um, they're on the uh, on a hill somewhere. They're out in the wilderness. Oh, they're not like in the middle of a city. Yeah. So Matthew Lowe over at Business Insider put the article together. Um, Airbnb wants to use the gl- growing glut, which is hard to say, of abandoned homes in Japan to boost its business. It told uh, Nikai that. It wants to partner with local governments to encourage homeowners to renovate. Japan has around 8.5 million IKEA or IKEA, by the way, IKEA, um, or empty homes as its population shrinks and ages, which is really sad. You know, it the population shrinking and aging can be embodied as a composite of empty homes throughout the country. Yeah, that is sad. Um... You don't normally see a visual of that. Yeah. So it can be a good source of income for people uh, after people retire as our lifetime gets longer. If the owners of idle assets refurbish them and convert them into lodgings, that would be a solution. Airbnb's head of Japan, uh, Yasuyuki Tanabe, uh, told Nikai. Um, Many of them. Oh, wait, where did it go? That's weird. Oh, okay. So it says many of them are too good to be abandoned. There are also safety risks if they are left unkept. So I think it should have been unkempt. Um, Tanabe said, so Japan has some 8.49 million IKEA or unoccupied homes, according to the government's housing and land survey in 2018. In the other uh, article that we um, talked about and in the other show, we actually saw these and they're not like uh townhomes they're not fully functional like conventional modern homes sitting somewhere they are basically like hunter lodges um out on the side of a hill like low end low amenities yeah some villages have turned into ghost towns of houses covered in overgrowth as residents leave for major urban hubs that should be a clue here so let's see if they have any pictures of this. No, they don't, which is a rare thing for Business Insider. My goodness. Tanabe said the company is deepening ties with an association that preserves these homes and has donated around $1 million the organization to the organization, according to the outlet. Tourism is starting to pick up once more in Japan, with visitor arrivals in October hitting $2.51 million compared to $2.49 million in October 2019 before the pandemic. So hey, looks like everything is returning to normal. The only thing that I have a problem with with this is it's perpetually a rental and a commercial property for somebody instead of being an actual home with somebody taking care of the land around it, being part of the community. It just becomes a commercial enterprise. And uh, I've been looking into this kind of stuff here in the United States where 
30% of the rental market is completely owned by corporations. Um, and it's the people with means like the, the story about a uh, New Yorkers getting paid $350,000 to convert up to $350,000 to convert their garage into a livable unit. Yet they're going to be charging $3,000 a month. It, that's not how it should be. It should, these houses and a little bit of land around them should be given to somebody who can't afford to buy a conventional house. And then they have a place to live. They have an address. They have a means to, uh, support themselves. They could grow uh, crops right there. They can become a part, a functional part of their community. Uh, I mean, just transition it over, but no, that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is somebody's going to buy that land because they've got money and means and a connection, and then they're going to rent it out. And so nobody will ever have a, a, a tie to the community except for the perceived value that the business owner is going to have to that community. Oh, you know, he's uh, making money in the community and keeping the property up to date. Yeah, but they're living in Osaka and this is out on the hills. They've only visited it so that they can make sure that there isn't somebody illegally living there and they can rent it out for X number of dollars. I don't know. It bothers me. Um, and particularly when you have 8.5 million of them, these are homes for, you know, up to 17 million people. If there are couples, you know, all right, let's just keep going. Ah, uh, but wait, we need hmm. more remote work and then we could have these people living in rural areas. That's part of the problem. You can't have them go to the places where there are jobs, but if you don't have to be physically present at your job, you could. That's true too. And most of these probably wouldn't have telephone anyway, or cell. I don't know. I don't know. By the way, your audio is going a little wonky. Um, let's go on to the next and our last article for tonight. It's over in hometown daily. Why a Wisconsin County is dumping cheese brine on its roads this winter. Um, I'm going to summarize this summarize. Yeah. Um, I'm going to sum this up. <laughs> it says here, uh, people often salt slippery winter roads to melt ice, making it safer to uh, drive and walk on. Some counties in Wisconsin have been using cheese brine or a beet juice blend instead this has actually been happening for a while the beet juice blend locals say that the alternative methods are safer for the environment and in some cases cheaper people from wisconsin are some sometimes called cheeseheads because of the way that some state counties beat icy streets we might propose calling their um, their highways cheese roads um, wisconsin is known for its cheese by the way Maya Focht is the author over at Business Insider for this article. Um, one of the claims is that uh, salt is starting to get more expensive, which is a really weird statement. Like I never thought that in the United States salt was going to get expensive, but apparently road salt is getting more expensive. Meanwhile, we have um, countries that are manually producing salt from seawater but they're not allowed to sell it because it's not um it doesn't have iodine in it 
And so all salt, as far as I know, all salt in the United States has to be sold as iodized salt. Even if it's not for human consumption? Uh, that I don't know. I'd have to look. I think road salt might not be iodized. Um, but yeah, the, um, so, but the, the thing about it is who's producing just non iodized salt. Well, I'm pretty sure you're going to be, you're going to find out that it's a consolidated number of manufacturers <laughs> and what happens with mergers and acquisitions. People get fired. <laughs> Prices go up, options disappear. Antitrust is a thing. Anyway, road salt, the traditional de-icer is effective, but it has its problems. Andrea Bill, the associate director of the University of Wisconsin's Traffic Operations and Safety Laboratory told Business Insider, the road salt keeps getting more and more expensive. Add to that, excess salt can damage roads, pollute groundwater, and wreak havoc on local marine life. This is all stuff that we've actually talked about over the last two years while we while streaming um this actually is really horrendous for the environment and for the vehicles that drive on salt laden roads you have to be pretty fastidious about your vehicle washing off its chassis um, if you drive out after it's been literally assaulted <laughs> anyway so there's different ways of uh getting rid of the um, salt, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the most common type of salt used on roads is the same salt in your dinner table, sodium chloride. Um, in small amounts, it's relatively harmless. However, excessive use of salt on roads can seep into groundwater when the snow melts. Many people get their drinking water from the ground. Again, no shit news at 935. Pardon me, the... You know, I, I can't read code of federal regulations, AI. You don't need to read it right now. Oh, all right. Um, many people get their drinking water from the ground and drinking salty water can affect people with high blood pressure. I read somewhere that this is actually, unless you're like really sensitive to salt or you consume just a metric ton of it, the amount of salt isn't as important as people have been saying. But when I see it in print like this on a website, it makes me want to go back down that rabbit hole and uh, verify what I had read uh, in another way and then talk about it if it's necessary. Um, but anyway, it says if snowmelt doesn't go into groundwater, it may run off towards local rivers or ponds where it increases salinity, which may be toxic to marine life. <clears throat> Definitely freshwater marine life. The agency estimated that salting roads may result in as much as $5 billion in annual repairs in the U.S. because it wears down roads. I mean, it increases the deterioration. Um, there's also the issue of upfront costs. Since cheese brine is a waste product that wouldn't otherwise be used for any other purpose, counties usually get it for free and only have to pay to transport it. <coughs> Salty water doesn't freeze at least until the the, the salt um, freezes out of it, you know, like uh, the surface of the water may freeze, but the salt water underneath it um, seeps down because brine is salt water. It's just more dilute. Um, but 
salt water doesn't typically freeze all the way through. Um, so it costs Greene County around $2.80 to $4.20 per mile to use cheese brine on the roads, whereas it costs more than 10 times that amount, $15 to $25 per mile to use rock salt. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is going. So there you go. You can use something with the waste byproduct and it is not as disastrous to the environment <clears throat> and the you get cheese out of it. Just don't... I wonder if they can do that in other areas or it's only convenient where they produce cheese. If they make enough of the brine as a waste product, they don't go and manufacture brine, um, you know, just to sell it somewhere. But if they make excess brine, they can ship it wherever they want because it's just a product that's going to be sitting in tanks. Seems like a pretty good idea. Um, but beet juice has been used before. I've watched um, other articles and shows talking about beet juice being used. He said that anecdotally, it keeps roads a little cleaner. Sorry, clear a, a little longer than rock salt. Um, the traffic doesn't wear it off as quick. That's why we like it. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about beet juice being sprayed all over the underside of my car, but I'll take it well, over right. salt. Does everything start smelling like the foods? Uh, it reminded me of the thing where there was the massive spill of something, and for decades later, it smelled like that in the town. Oh, yeah. It was I'm molasses. Sure. Like maybe? molasses. Yeah. Yep. Um, and what, what there was like, it's happened with beer, it's happened with tomatoes, it's happened with um, syrup, like a front you know tree syrup you know the the, the... Or tree sap yeah or but it, it, it was maple syrup there we go maple syrup um and it always smells like that for an extended period of time <clears throat> well anyway that's it folks that's it for tonight we always get back into the party bus and uh, normally I refresh this but I've been telling people that I can't refresh it because if I plan on promoting this I can't list anything that mentions a political, a specific political party based on what I've been told so far. I've been told three different times the same political party shows up in my news. Um, it, somewhere as a headline. I don't even talk about it other than this. So anyway, I'm leaving it alone. This will be the last that I talk about it. Um, see you tomorrow, 8 p.m., I'm Marwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience, the visualizer for the Sentience scent. You know who you are. You want to say goodnight? Goodnight, hometown citizens. Thanks for joining us. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow at 8 p.m. You already said that. I know. <laughs> I'd like to hear you say it. It's okay. Come on. Have anything else you want to say? No. All right. See y'all tomorrow. Bye bye. Mm -hmm.